Hey, y'all. Our prayer time this morning was pretty specifically focused on the outward influence that our church, that God desires for our church to have. And I don't want to, I would be remiss to not um, bring up amongst you that we as a staff um, pray for you often, that we recognize that this is a difficult time for many in many ways. And I hope that you are praying for one another as well. And I don't want that to go unsaid. Um, I believe that you are. I feel your prayers as your pastor, and I'm so grateful for those. Um, I will tell you that I have been married for 17 years today, so that's pretty cool. And uh, I was, uh, we, were, we were 23 when we got married, knew nothing, still don't. But we are having fun, and I'm so grateful for Leslie Ann and our family, and they're watching online today with us. So happy anniversary, sweetheart. I did remember. It's, uh, it's going to be good to be in the uh, Gospel of Luke all through Advent, as well as for the first few months of the year um, in 2021. We're going to be in Luke for a while. And I'm excited about that with you. Today, we're going to be in Luke 21, but you can actually turn to Luke 1 first. And then we'll get over to Luke 21. Next few months, we will be uh, here going through um, this gospel. I really hope this time in Luke is, is encouraging to all of us. I, I believe that it, that it will be. I hope that our time in Luke outlasts our our time with this virus. I really do. I hope that it is gone, um, or at least in that moving in that direction much sooner than later. I'm excited about this journey through Luke because I think the life and ministry of Jesus is exactly where our focus should be and what our focus being on can actually help quell our anxiety during this difficult time, during these brutal days. Remember, I, I want to remind you, because I need to remember myself, that the gospel is, is it's really both what the apostles, what the early church leaders said about Jesus' life and ministry, and it's also what Jesus said and did, the message of Jesus and the message about Jesus. Now, those aren't two different things, but they were from two different time periods, before the cross, as Jesus ministered, all that he did, leading to the cross, including the cross, and resurrection, and then everything that was said about him to testify to all that happened. That is the gospel. And in both regards, the, this, the gospel is the vehicle for God's saving power. The gospel changes lives. The gospel gives life because Jesus does. And in the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he provides some context for us, uh, the readers of this gospel. If you look at the very first verse with me. Text says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. The certainty about the things which you have been instructed. Now, these are the framing words that Luke gives his gospel. And I believe 
we can trust that Luke is who we believe he is. He was a physician. He traveled with Paul and helped spread the word amongst those who were coming to know Jesus in the time of the early church. He ministered along t- alongside Paul. And I want us to, to know that we can trust what Luke is saying here, what Luke reports in the rest of his gospel, which is no small feat these days to trust that reporting, to trust the news that is circulating. There is news out there, and you know this, widely accessible that is rooted in untruth and gains, I'm talking about currently, modern day, it gains likes, it gains shares, even though that which is being reported is not actually true. And I'm talking about our ability to discern truth from sensationalism. Because there's a big difference in one's slant or one's perspective on a story that actually happened and then a story that's just not even true. And we need to understand the difference. The reason that Luke mentions eyewitnesses, the reason that Luke mentions uh, servants of the word uh, who proclaim these stories of Jesus to their community is so that the the readers can actually at this time go back and and find these eyewitnesses and, and, and inquire as to the veracity of what is being said here by Luke about those things that can happen. Now, no longer can we talk to eyewitnesses, obviously, that were contemporaries of Luke, so we have to lean very heavily on Luke's declaration that he gives us right here in verse 4, that these things have certainty with them, that we can be certain that these things that are reported absolutely happen. I don't always love the word certain. I think it can cause some problems theologically because we can use it in a way that runs contrary or that, that, you know, that, that contradicts what faith is. Now, faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us, is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we cannot see. Certainty in what we cannot yet see. Well, that's, that's faith, and it's at the heart of what we're being called to in this season that we find ourselves in, the season of Advent. Advent, Fleming Rutledge says, is more than any other season in our Christian calendar. The season of hope. The season of, uh, how'd you say it, Miss Jean? Expectation. The season of hope. Our hope in God's promises, that God's promises will persevere even when all else seems hopeless around us. Now, as we shift to chapter 21 in our text that we'll be looking at for the next few minutes... This isn't, a, this isn't a Christmas passage. When we go by the liturgical calendar of the church and the uh, common lectionary, which we're doing for this Advent season, the, the traditional lectionary texts from Luke, we begin with this rather apocalyptic section late in Jesus' life when he is teaching, well, on these things that he's teaching on. It's a beautiful passage full of Advent themes. And I hope that we can draw those out in the next few minutes and it be an encouragement to us all. Let's look into God's Word together, beginning in verse 25 in Luke 21. The text says, Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud 
with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and and, and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and, and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verse 34, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life, or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's Word. I think we can tease a few things out of this that can encourage us today. So we're going to move through this passage together, and I'm going to draw on it Hopefully, it'll make some sense to us. The first thing I want us to see is that in Advent, we are looking forward to God's kingdom while living in a time when it is so obviously, when it so obviously has not yet been fully realized. Now, just back at the beginning of our passage in the first section, can you recognize in, in our lives as we are living right now, and I think you, you can, this is such a strange time, some of the things that Jesus is saying here about this time and some of the ways we can draw parallels between the two. Look at verses 25 through, through 28. Anguish on the earth among nations. Yes. Roaring of seas and waves. Have, have we had a season with more hurricanes? And I mean, it, it's been a lot. People will faint from fear about what the expectations are for the things coming upon the earth. We have people that are... Definitely scared, and rightfully so. The powers of heaven will be shaken. I I tell y'all every week that the kingdom of God is unshakable. Am I just blowing smoke? I, I believe that the kingdom is unshakable precisely because we believe the Son of Man is, is coming. Our imagery in our text says in a cloud, which is imagery borrowed from Daniel chapter 7. There's so much Old Testament imagery and, and, and passages used here in our 12 verses today, but the kingdom is unshakable precisely because the Son of Man is coming, but that is already and not yet. So there's still all of this confusion and devastation that goes on around us and well. And although these things are taking place and have been for 2,000 years, that the earth has been shaken in these ways since Jesus ascended into heaven and the promise of Jesus' return came. We're still called in our text to stand up. We're still called to lift up our heads. Why? Because our redemption is near. And Advent calls us to to come together and to believe that, to long for that, to expect that, to not grow so weary that we lose sight of God's promises that are true. And this is what we too often, it's what I too often miss about Advent, and I'm preaching on these things every year. 
because our tradition in our community is so steeped in Christmas and, and, and the baby in a manger. And these are not bad things at all. But the reason we, we were in Luke 21 today is because Advent is first about Jesus's second coming. And by the way, all the way back to the story of the baby in a manger, that story itself, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, is also wrapped in this reality of this second coming. This was the plan from the beginning. First John four fourteen says, And we, we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. Then in verse, oh, what verse is it? 29, Jesus gives us a parable. He sure did like to do that. He gives us a parable to help us understand that in Advent, we are looking forward to God's kingdom while living in a time, as I said, that it so obviously has not been fully realized. The fig tree's leaves hint at summer coming. The best of what summer is, the warm weather, the produce, growth, I mentioned in one of my morning porch devotions recently. I don't know if y'all still watch those. I hope you do. They're pretty redundant, though, aren't they? This is drug on for so long. But I sat there and was studying before I did the little, you know, filming of it. And this mighty storm came through. It was a couple Sunday mornings ago. It was a big, it was was wild. It was windy and it was a big storm. And then not an hour later after that came through, the sun was already out, and it turned out to be this beautiful Sunday, warm and fair. Y'all, we are still in this COVID storm. And even on a more macro level, we are, we are subject to this world that we live in that has not yet been fully rescued, fully redeemed. But summer is coming. A vaccine is coming. Better treatments are coming. A more level economy is coming. And believing in those things, holding to those things, that is good for us. I long for them alongside you for for many reasons, but I also recognize and I need you to recognize with me that not any of them or the sum total of them is what we truly need. And it's not what we should truly long for. What we truly need and what we truly long for has already come, and it is coming. And Advent is precisely the time that we remember that. Second, Advent is a really good chance to slow down. I didn't plan to do that. Not sure why I did, but slow down. I'm not good at, I'm not good at that. Those of you at home, I'm not good at it. But many of us have been forced to slow down during this season, and perhaps even against our own will. The things we we busy ourselves with have, have in in large part, been taken away from us. Um, Perhaps we have been sick, or we've had loved ones sick or gotten ill, or or we're just taking this very seriously and, and limiting what we are doing. And I hope we're taking this very seriously, taking our own health seriously and each other's health seriously. But when we step back from the uniqueness of this time and we just look at how most of us live, not all of us, I'm condemning me, maybe you, maybe you can identify, but it's, it's this word, busyness. Busyness. 
Now hear me, it, it serves us, it serves our families, it serves our communities well to remember that we are not the center of the universe. That our lives are rooted in something much bigger than our own lives. And, and living with this in mind helps us to steer clear of what Jesus warns us about in our text. Drunkenness, carousing, the worries of life. It has been my experience that a life centered on itself will ultimately devolve into these destructive patterns mentioned here or those like them not mentioned here because precisely we are not created to spend so much time and energy focused on ourselves to only serve ourselves. Now I'm making a distinction here. I'm not talking about time spent turning inward time spent focusing on the Holy Spirit that the Scripture teaches us lives inside of us, that time spent is good. And actually what I'm arguing we should be drawn to more during the season of Advent and beyond. But it's when we get so preoccupied and occupied in the things of the world and the things that we invest our lives in and involve our lives in, and they can be good things too. We, we fail to turn inward. We fail to recognize God first. We fail to understand what the foundation is for all that we do. It's God who deserves our attention. It's God who deserves the glory that we so quickly give to ourselves. And in ascribing glory to God who deserves it, we actually then get ourselves in the process, our, our proper selves rooted in God and in God's love for the world. So I ask you this morning, just consider this a little exercise, keep it to yourself. Has the pandemic rendered you more worried for yourself or for your neighbors? Now, I want to encourage us to use this newfound time that we have because so many things are shut down and different as an opportunity to do what I was just arguing, to look inward, to look to ourselves and to God working in us and to how we, as I try to often say, can participate in what God's mission is in the world going on around us to consider what is truly important in our lives. This time that we can claim back that because of our busyness, we all too often fail to devote to searching our own hearts. Our text says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. When, when there's no time and space to, to search our inner selves, to pray, to spend time with Jesus, to spend time just quiet, allowing God to speak, we quite possibly will begin reacting mindlessly to the world around us, and that can lead so easily into destructive patterns. Now, I'm speaking to you Christians. I'm speaking to you who are following and being formed by Jesus. This would not make sense to somebody who is yet to follow and be formed by Jesus. The power of the gospel to, to rub off on our neighbors, for our gospel conversations to have this, this Holy Spirit-driven power behind them is going to be when we are healthy ourselves. Not perfect, but healthy enough that some of these patterns of looking inwardly and recognizing God's presence in our lives, exactly what Susan was talking about in the offertory time. 
when that is, is present in our lives, then we can much more easily show grace, mercy, rub off on people around us. Advent has given us the chance to slow down. Our pandemic has actually given us the chance to slow down. We've got to take advantage of it. Last, Advent reminds us that only God, only God can provide the strength to stand. Strength to stand is borrowed from our passage. It's Jesus' encouragement to us that we would stand, that we would be confident, and only God can provide what we need to stand. There was a longtime pastor in the Vancouver area. This was years ago. He pastored in the Vancouver area for 20 years. He pastored overall for 50 years. Just a life given to Jesus in vocational ministry. He would spend most of every Thursday upstairs in his house in um, his desk writing his sermon for, for Sunday. And one particular Thursday, he didn't come down for dinner. And Lucy, his wife, knew something wasn't right, and she went upstairs to check on him. And right before she went to grab the doorknob, she heard what was an unmistakable voice in her head and in her heart. And it said, Lucy, my grace and mercy are sufficient for you. And she went in to find her husband dead at his desk. Is God's mercy and grace sufficient for you today? Do you trust that God is making things right, making all things new? Look at verse 36 with me again. Jesus says, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. A while back, I got paired with a gentleman named Lou on the golf course. I like to walk nine holes when I can. You get to know somebody when you walk nine holes with them. And at the Metro courses, you get paired up with some of the most wonderful people, some less wonderful than others. But Lou was wonderful, really a joy to talk with. And I remember this day well. He was, uh, he's a dentist, a specialist. He was 67 at the time, still carries his own bag when he plays. My kind of guy. Like I said, you have time to get to know somebody. And by the sixth hole, I was asking Lou about his family. And it turns out that that very day was the sixth anniversary of the death of Lou's daughter. Brain aneurysm. Bam. Gone in just a few seconds. It turns out she was newly divorced at the time with three kids. And her ex-husband was estranged and only really saw the kids once a month, if that. Very contentious with Lou's daughter, but her death shocked him so much that there was some reconciliation there. He got his act together, and now Lou told me he and his wife see the kids and their son-in-law weekly. Lou said, you know, Brandon, I lost my daughter, but I gained a son. Yes, God is making things right. God sent Jesus specifically to make things right. But we live in this in-between time. Jesus has come, and we're waiting on him to come again. And 
Until then, things are just not yet fully right. Sometimes we die suddenly, and that causes many great pain. There are countless stories during the pandemic of loved ones who are they're so sick, and they can't, we can't be with them. It's just awful. Fred Craddock once said, I used to think wherever Christ was, there wouldn't be misery. But I've learned that where there's misery, that's where Christ is. Jesus whispers to us in the misery and the pain. Sometimes we lose a daughter. Sometimes we gain a son. This time of year, we look to a young father and an even younger mother who were told they were going to have a miracle baby. A boy, and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us, who would be the Savior of the world. And through this child, pain and misery will ultimately be gone. But until then, he will be with us, right there in the middle of all of our pain and misery, making things right, making us right, so that we can help make things right. Advent affords us and demands from us the space to be certain in what I just told you. To have that as our expectation. To hope in that. Let's pray.